From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. Let me welcome you back to the Cannabis Podcast for episode 122. Maybe this is your first time. If it is, an especially warm welcome for you. Ahead, 30 or 40 minutes of information about cannabis. And before we get too far, let me remind you this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction and is intended purely for entertainment and perhaps educational purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. In episode 122, we're going to talk about my BC Cannabis Summit experiences, which includes a new course that I won. Out of that summit, a renewed respect and acknowledgement of First Nations cannabis heritage. Of course, for First Nations, cannabis has been a medicine for thousands of years. We have a story on one of the major sponsors of the summit, that is All Nations Cannabis. There's some policy changes coming up for BC Cannabis. On Cultivar Corner, it's Animal Face from Carmel. And we have a story that asks, is there really any difference between sativa and indica? All of that and more on episode 122 of the Cannabis Podcast. And let me start with a couple of personal notes this week. First of all, my brother Bill. Hey, Bill, thinking about you. Just need you to know that. If you need anything, absolutely give me a call. It shall be done. I am thinking about you. Also, I want to thank Ty. He comes into the store a whole lot, become a good friend over the last couple of years. And Ty treated me to a round of golf yesterday. Thank you so much for that, Ty. I loved it. 18 holes of wonderfulness. <laughs> I think we did a joint about every two holes. It was a fabulous day. The sun was out. It was gorgeous. The golf was good. I I buried a, a birdie from off the green with a nice little chip. That always feels good. My putter was on. I was getting some great putts. Thanks so much, Ty. I can't wait to do it again. And let me say once again, I've been surprised by some harvest showing up. <laughs> Yes, that's true. Thanks to my buddy, Ken. Hey, Ken, thank you for more samples. What did Ken send me? He sent me some Passion Number 1, some God Bud, some Mac, some Sirius 6. I love it, Ken. And I just heard from my buddy, Gord, that more is coming from Gord. That's supposed to arrive this week. Thank you so much, gents. Listen, maybe it is time for me to consider a home edition of Cultivar Corner, as Gord suggested a while ago. Keep tuned for more. I'll see what develops with that idea, but thanks a lot. I really appreciate it, guys. Now, let's talk about the BC Cannabis Summit, the second version of the BC Cannabis Summit that just happened here in Kelowna. The Hotel El Dorado, the rooftop patio, in use once again. I have to say not as much. Weather, it was a bit windy. Rooftop patio is not necessarily the best place to be. <laughs> Trying to smoke a joint in the Okanagan wind. <laughs> But it was a fabulous experience nonetheless. Really glad that I went. Really glad that I participated in a lot of it. Didn't get to all the sessions, of course, because that's almost impossible. We started off on Friday, the first day. So it was one day late after 4.20. And as guess is a bit of an aside, the 4.20 we had at our store, absolutely fabulous this year. We just had a blast. Had a lot of people in and it was just a fun day followed up by the BC Cannabis Summit on April 21st. And it kicked off with a block party. Well, first of all, it had the opening ceremonies, which I attended. And I want to send a shout out to Matt and Sarah from Up and Smoke in Vancouver. Lovely chatting with you on the rooftop patio. I think one of the first people I actually connected with on the top. 
Hope you had a good time at the conference. Glad you made your trip up to Kelowna. And then it quickly kicked off with a block party that had a number of villas around the Manteo Resort and a number of cannabis companies in those villas basically sponsoring you. you we got tickets with our block party in admission, and that meant you could go get some samples. You could buy a dab. You could get a sample of some weed. It, it was very, very cool. It I heard so often as people were walking around, this is just so cool that we can do this now, that we've got to the point of legalization where these kind of events can happen. I have to say thanks to Sean from Rubicon. Sat down and did a little dab with Sean. Uh, gave me a bit of a lesson in, in the proper etiquette for, for doing dabs and, and the proper use of a, of a dab kit. Fabulous experience. I truly enjoyed that, Sean. I stopped by the Coast Mountain booth as well. Had a chat with their master grower, Damien, and hope to get him on the podcast in the future and have a talk about what it's like for growing for Coast Mountain Cannabis. I stopped in at All Nations Cannabis, met some old friends, Nicole and Parker, along with Mika. Hadn't seen them for a long time. I worked with them previously. And really cool to see them and how All Nations is growing. And we will talk about All Nations a little bit further. Got a story about how there is a a renewed focus on indigenous cannabis leading the way for the rest of the industry. So attending the block party was just a blast. (laughs) Got some great samples, had some great dabs, and uh, went home pretty stoned. (laughs) And then we had, on Saturday, we had the Deputy Premier, Mike Farnworth, appear at the lunch. Gave us a bit of a speech. I had to say I was pretty impressed with how he handled being in the midst of all of these cannabis people where there was certainly some antagonism. And uh, there were a couple of heated moments when a couple in the audience got, well, not not too rambunctious, but obviously expressing their deep, deep deep-seated emotion that they were feeling. And that's hard to contain when certainly in a context of a meeting like that. I thought he did a good job. No major announcements. There was some, some additional funding for helping indigenous cannabis growers get into the, uh, quote, legal industry. That was one of the pieces that he talked about. And he expressed concern that, yes, our industry has some problems. We have to help in those areas. And I'm hoping that like things like the excise tax, things like the THC that limits for edibles, those types of things going to be addressed. Let's hope it's not just talk. <laughs> and I guess that was the sentiment of most people, that I hope it's just not talk. And we have an experience to actually get something done from that perspective. So really enjoyed the the whole the whole experience. It was different. There weren't as many seminars, which I thought was a good idea. The one session I found really interesting was when we had two representatives from Health Canada put themselves in front of a room full of cannabis proponents who have some displeasure with some of the legalization as it currently exists from Health Canada's perspective. And I have to give them props. They did an admirable job. They stood up to all the questions. They had frank answers, even if those answers were, uh, well, there's not much we can do about it. I did find that there was a true recognition that the industry needs some substantive help from Health Canada in some of the changing to regulations. And I guess the part of the discussion that I found most discouraging was their consistent repeat of the message that policy changes sometimes take 18 to 24 months to accomplish. 
well, if we don't get some of these things addressed at 18 to 24 months, there's not going to be an industry to worry about, or certainly an industry of the same size. So I thought they did an admirable job standing up to the barrage of questions, and there wasn't a single question that they didn't attempt to answer. They addressed the increasing THC levels in terms of the edible dosages. They want some tangible evidence to validate that there aren't the same kind of health concerns that that they have right now. A number of different things were spoken about in terms of the Health Canada regulations, and almost always their answer was, we want to hear what your needs are so that when we do make adaptations to those policies, they're the right adaptations. So I trust that the members of the industry who were there and who were listening are giving the feedback necessary to make those adjustments, those changes. I don't think they're going to happen next week, (laughs) and I don't think they're going to happen in any time that that we're probably going to be tangibly viewing in the next couple of months. The positive out of it is at least they were listening. They were understanding that this nascent industry can be a booming industry with a little bit more help. And I just hope the politicians who are around when those policy reviews are about to be enabled have the sense to make sure that they are brought into law and we do get those effective changes. I also spent some time over at the trade show and that's where the prize I won came in. And that was, I just ended it just out of of a whim, really. And it turns out that I won a course from the different collective. The course is Cannabis Microscopy and Grading. Cool idea, trying to bring some standards to the whole idea of grading cannabis with a microscope. It would be much better if I actually had a microscope. That doesn't come with the prize, unfortunately, just the course does. I still have to figure out how and when I'm going to get the microscope. I did take a peek at some of the stuff they had there. It was very, very cool. Just dive those microscopes right in and deep, deep into the trichomes and just see the glory that lives within them. So I may be inspired to get a microscope as part of my experience at the BC Cannabis Summit. We'll see. So I do appreciate that, the different collective. Thank you for the prize. I'm looking forward to starting that course and seeing where that goes. And there was just a a bunch of really good experiences at the conference. I attended the Women in Cannabis conference on Sunday and the closing day as well. And uh, there's also a a bit of the, that I'm going to be covering off in a story from Okanagan Z about some of the experiences at the summit as well. Great experience. I truly enjoyed it. I, I had a blast. This time I wasn't up on the roof. This time I was the Manteo patio, Lakeside patio, and that's where the on the Saturday afternoon, the joints were just a flying. <laughs> I was sitting with Jeff and Sherry from Smoker Farms and Kevin, a new friend I met who's behind Royal Harvest. Uh, uh, Damien wasn't there, but Julian from Sweetgrass, he was there. He's a grower from Sweetgrass. Whole Roger, uh, one of the reps who services the store, was there. It, it was just a blast, and the joints were flying fast and furious. <laughs> And I kept up. I think I have a pretty good track record of being able to keep up as those joints are going fast and furious. So it was truly a blast. I had had a lot of fun at it, made a lot of connections. I hope you're going to hear a number of interviews over the next few weeks from people that I connected with and follow up on those and try and get them on to tell their story, their story about how cannabis has impacted them and their participation in the Canadian cannabis industry. So I... I'm glad I got the chance to go. It was a blast. 
I enjoyed smoking cannabis up on the roof, and I look forward to doing it all again next year. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And let's dive a little further into the BC Cannabis Summits and my reference to the fact that Indigenous cannabis companies are kind of at the forefront. This is a story from my buddy David Wiley at the Okanagan Sea and got a chance to catch up again with David. That was cool. Nice to see you again, David. Again, we'll love the work that you're doing. Indigenous are pushing cannabis industry forward, says All Nations CEO. Supporting sovereign Indigenous rights over cannabis makes things better for all, says All Nations CEO Darwin Douglas. The CEO behind one of Canada's best-known Indigenous cannabis companies, encourages everyone to forge Indigenous partnerships in the pot industry. Darwin Douglas, who leads All Nations Cannabis, says moving Indigenous rights forward in the cannabis space helps move the whole industry ahead. And he pointed to All Nations Cannabis as an example of their work in negotiating direct delivery in B.C. Douglas spoke at the B.C. Cannabis Summit in Kelowna about the government-to-government Section 119 agreement between the province of B.C. and the Chiam First Nation. Douglas, who was also tribal chief of the Stolo Tribal Council, said the agreement took two and a half years to negotiate. It allows them to deliver directly from their cultivation facility to their nearby retail store only a few hundred meters away on Chiam First Nation, east of Chilliwack. Douglas says they refused to sign an agreement until they were allowed to deliver directly to the store, instead of going to the province and then out wholesale. Once the province agreed, a day later, The B.C. government announced direct delivery would go into effect throughout the province, he says. It shows that supporting inherent Indigenous rights will make things better for everyone, he adds. We do have a lot to offer and we want to work with everybody, he says. We put some love and good energy into the cannabis we grow. All Nations Cannabis grows a number of different strains, including Stolo Haze, Modified Grapes, Mac Daddy, and Lemon Tarts. They also recently launched a new brand called Uncle Bob. Douglas says the company's weed will be in all provinces by the end of the year. They're also sending cannabis internationally with orders from Israel and Germany. About 85% of their workforce is indigenous. Douglas was part of the legacy industry. His stepfather was a pioneer in B.C. cannabis. When I was 19, I was guerrilla gardening around Chilliwack, he says. Cannabis is helping keep their culture alive today, he says. All nations supports a language teacher comes to the band to teach. Frustration among local Indigenous representatives was apparent, though. Former West Bank First Nations Chief Roxanne Lindley spent a good part of her opening address at the summit talking about her disappointment with B.C. Deputy Premier and Minister of Public Safety Mike Farnworth. Lindley says members of their delegation were poorly treated, though she didn't offer specifics. She received a standing ovation when she told the crowd she wouldn't let government dictate what she can do. Let's take a look at Section 119. What did that do? That's a joke, she says. While Farnworth was hosing us, he was hosing you too. Greg Hopf, who's founder of indigenous tourism company Moccasin Trails in West Kelowna, says he wants acknowledgement from the federal government of indigenous sovereignty in the Cannabis Act. We just want their goddamn support publicly. We don't make laws and policies just for a joke. They mean something. Respect that, he says. While Farnworth spoke at the summit over the weekend, the Ministry of Public Safety and Solicitor General sent out a news release announcing another $2.3 million for the B.C. Indigenous Cannabis Business Fund. The fund was launched in 2022 to support Indigenous participation in the regulated side. The money is in addition to the original joint contribution of up to $75 million by the province and federal government over three years. 
The fund supports business planning and advisory services and helps Indigenous businesses or First Nations cover the costs of licensing and permitting. It also makes capital available to support the launch or expansion of businesses. And that story again, thanks to the OZ. And now we're going to Stratcan.com, and my thanks to David Brown from Stratcan. British Columbia's cannabis distribution branch is announcing several new policy changes for the cannabis sector. In a memo sent out to industry stakeholders, the BC Liquor Distribution Branch, the LDB, says it will be implementing several policy changes aimed at supporting the cannabis industry. It will also be conducting a review of its direct delivery program, which it first launched in 2022. Three new policy changes include permanently eliminating the requirement for licensed producers to maintain mandatory recall insurance, which the LDB says will help cannabis companies become more financially viable, temporarily amending supplier payment terms from 30 to 14 days for a period of six months, beginning April 30th of 2023, extending until October 31st, the LDB will temporarily change the payment terms for licensed producers using the provincial system for distribution from 30 days to 14 days, permanently reducing the reporting frequency for licensed producers participating in the direct delivery program from weekly to bi-weekly. The LDB also says they will be undertaking a review of the direct delivery program in partnership with the Provincial Cannabis Secretariat. The review of the program, which was first launched in August of 2022, will look to see if the program is working to assist small cannabis producers in the province. The results of the review will be posted at a later date. As a result of these changes, the LDB has also updated its supply agreement. A notice of amendment will be provided to all licensed producers via email in the coming days. The updated supplier agreement will also be published on central delivery and direct delivery supplier websites. Timothy Dayton, one of the owners of Sweetgrass Cannabis, a micro-producer in the Kootenays, says he sees the changes as positive, noting the changes for recall insurance could save micros thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars a year when doing business in B.C. Although Sweetgrass doesn't currently participate in the direct delivery program, Dayton also says he's happy to see they're reviewing it, noting the 15% fee the LDB still charges producers to use the program has made it too costly for his company. Those are great changes, and I'm really happy to hear about this. I'm also happy to see they're reviewing the direct delivery program, and I hope they can look at the 15% fee. It costs companies more to do direct delivery than just by sending it to the BC LDB. Janine Davis, VP of Sales of Joint Venture Craft Cannabis, which helps bring numerous BC micro and other craft growers to market, including through the direct delivery program, says she expected the announcement and is happy to see the province responding to industry concerns. This comes as no surprise to those of us who have engaged in good faith with the BCLDP and Cannabis Secretariat's office. They care deeply about the success of our industry and have advocated for changes on our behalf. Kirk Tuso, the CEO of Great Gardener Farms, a micro-producer on Vancouver Island, says the removal of the requirement for recall insurance will allow them to take more ownership over their supply chain. For a small craft producer like Great Gardener Farms, dropping the recall insurance requirement means we can actually pursue getting a processing license so that we can package and sell our flour directly to retailers. We also welcome any efficiencies that can be built into the direct delivery system. And that's a story from StratCan.com on upcoming changes to the BC industry. And it sounds like finally government is starting to listen and we're finally starting to see some incremental changes. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. 
On Cultivar Corner today, we're doing another sativa. And I know we've already talked about we don't want to be doing indica sativa. We want to be more broad in terms of it's the terpenes that are going to take you there. But when things are still marketed as sativa and indica, I will cover those. <laughs> so we're all speaking from the same place. This is Carmel, Rare Seeds, Limited Grow, and this is their Animal Face, which three and a half grams of Sativa Delight. And as I pulled this out of the bag, my three and a half grams is made up with a total of four buds, one of them fairly substantial. Fairly substantial? <laughs> Maybe substantive was the word that you were trying to use there, Gare. Not quite sure. <laughs> Regardless, though, you open up that bag... Mmm, heavy on the diesel, like really heavy on the diesel. Let's give you a sense of what Carmel's animal face is and why it is so heavy on the diesel. Sativa dominant. Uh, the appearance going to be some frosty red hairs. And I just dropped that big bag right back in my bag, or that big butt right back in my bag. <laughs> Silly me. Oh, yeah, lots of nice frosty red hairs, frosty, mossy green, bright orange hairs. Let's pull out the Jewelers loop, and let's put the marketing to the test. Oh, yeah, lots of bright orange hairs in there. Oh, my goodness sakes, and it is trichome rich. Oh, fields of delightful trichomes. Most of them appear to be in the milky, past the milky, moving perhaps into the amber stage for many of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. And such delightful odors that come off of that. The turn or the notes you should be getting out of this is diesel, some lemon, pine sol, and cake. Definitely got the diesel. It is heavy on the diesel, this one. Lots in the lemon as well. Bit of that pine. Mm. And of course that makes sense because my dominant terpenes are limonene, myrcene, and linalool. So linalool going to give some of those cakey odors. Mmm, that is just a delightful little mix. I really like it. And this bud that I have in front of me, let me remove any possibility of not knowing how big this bud is. Get my scale out here. And this is one of the buds that was in my 3.5 grams. And it is 2.3 grams. So that's a fairly substantive bud. It has been tailored and trimmed just delightfully. I'm not seeing a bunch of sugar leaves. There's maybe one little stem I could have picked off, but that's being pretty picky. <laughs> so let's give you the story behind Carmel and the animal face, their story, what they do. Don't grow the most, grow the most desired. This philosophy shaped the Carmel Grow team during their time in the gray market, and today it still serves as the guiding light for every decision they make. In pursuit of top shelf flower, they strive not only to maintain the highest possible standards, but push the culture forward with rare genetics that raise the bar for the entire industry. This means constantly pheno hunting for our next favorite strain and working tirelessly to ensure every time you open our latest drop, you're as excited as we were when we harvested the plant. Only product that meets our high standards will bear the Carmel name, because for us, our brand appeal will always be rooted in our bag appeal. And I have to say, guys... <laughs> And girls, everybody at Carmel, mm, the bag appeal really hit the nose on this one. Absolutely delightful tones. I'm just amazed at how much of that diesel notes are in this flower on this particular day. So that's the story behind them. Let's also give you what they do. 
The journey didn't start when they received their licensed producer status in 2019. It actually started back in 2005 when they grew their first plants and sold their first bag. Carmel is the coming together of legacy players, their collection of rare genetics, and shared passion to put our top-shelf product in your hands. Their master grower, Drew, if it's not pushing the standard for quality weed, we're not growing it. We don't just say we're top shelf. We put in the work day in and day out. Good seeds equals good weed. Billy's the flower manager. And pheno hunting is at the core of their culture. Their team has collectively spent 30 years fostering relationships with North, North America's premier breeders. Before you pick up the latest drop, know that we're rigorously selected that pheno from hundreds that didn't make the cut. Sure, look at terpene profile, potency, yield, and a laundry list of other metrics when selecting the latest genetic. But if we're not excited to smoke it, we won't grow it. Craft cannabis that delivers. We've always done things the right way, long before anyone called it craft cannabis. Small batch. They grow in small batches with strain-specific lighting and nutrient cycles to get the most out of the plants. Hang dried. Not just because we love the living wall, but because it produces the smoothest smoke and best flavor. Hand trimmed. We've yet to see a machine that does our flower justice. All our buds are perfectly hand-trimmed to ensure bag appeal, and I would have to agree with the bud that I'm looking at here, definitely hand-trimmed and definitely lots of bag appeal. Perfectly cured. We cold cure for a minimum of 14 days in food-grade barrels that are burped daily. We also ensure our product is perfectly spongy, targeting a final moisture content of 11 to 14%. And that spongy should mean that there's a bit of stickiness, on these buds as well, and fresh bud is best. That's why we don't irradiate and go to the extra step to nitrogen flush all our whole flower pouches. Uh, warning, opening our pouch results in a terpene pot that has been known to incite local scavenger smokers. <laughs> and I would have to agree, and responsibly grown. This one's important to us. Mother Nature has provided us with an incredible plant and it's our job to repay the favor. Our facility combines the best of high-end indoor production with the environmentally friendly benefits of a greenhouse grow and our plants love the full-spectrum light, a.k.a. sun, that simply cannot be replicated indoors. We also source 100% of our water from an on-site artesian well and recycle our water throughout the grow cycle to reduce waste. And what's behind the seeds? And there is a story on Carmel. And after all of that detail, I think it's time we put the test to the product. And let me prepare a joint and get something ready for my Crafty Plus. And we're going to have a taste of Carmel Animal Face. And when you do start to break up the bud, get it into a little smaller components. Uh, and yes, it does definitely have some stick. <laughs> this be some sticky weed. And there's just something magical about popping that first bud. And this is an early morning. Uh, in fact, it's right after day, right after time change I'm dealing with this. <laughs> I thought I would see what happened when we get into the new Daylight Savings Time. Could this be the last time we change to Daylight Savings Time in British Columbia? <laughs> we'll see. Oh, yeah, lots of stick. Mm, and much more abundant aromas as I pull that out and I start to break those buds up. Oh, wow. My room is just filled with some diesel and lemony notes right now. All right, and here we are. Everything is ready to rock. It just turned on the Crafty Plus, so that'll warm up while we're taking your first sample from the joint. So a couple of the details I haven't given you yet. The lineage. So this is from Seed Junkie Genetics out of California, and the lineage is Face Off OG in Animal Mints. That's what brings us to Animal Face. Also, I haven't touched on what the terpenes are in this. No, I have touched the terpenes a little bit. 
So let me give you some more off the bag. A little harder to read just because it's in a, a lighter font. We covered uh, Face Off OG and Animal Mints. Lemon, Pine Sol, and Cake going to be my predominant flavors. Frosty, uh, mossy green appearance. I would agree with that. Uh, lots of orange hairs. I would agree with that too. And what's the other piece I wanted to tell you? Oh, the THC. We haven't touched on this yet. Of course, in our long discussion about THC. <laughs> and here we are. This one's sitting at 33.4%. So at 33.4% for a sativa, this should be having a bit of a kick. Let's give it a try. This is Carmel Animal Face. Oh, nice and smooth. Oh, look at that. My Crafty Plus is already ready, too. Excellent timing on that one. So in the day after the time change, I'm looking for some energy. Got some stuff to do today. I'm hoping to actually pull my golf clubs out and maybe go to a driving range and give those a try. Wouldn't that be nice? Now that we're almost into the middle of March. <laughs> what a long, slow season it has been. But I digress. Let's keep focused on, oh, oh, there's some focus. Mm. Pull off the joint. Taking a look at that ash that's coming off the back. Oh, nice and gray. Gray and white. Not seeing any black in that guy. Continues to be persistent and consistent. Mm. Some of the diesel notes, definitely. Some of the limon, some of the limon notes. <laughs> some of those lemon notes as well. Let's try the Crafty Plus. And let's see what the flavor profile of Carmel Animal Face truly is. Oh, my goodness. What an abundance of flavor in that. Wow. Those diesel notes are just coming right to the fore. Oh, along with my happy eyes. Sativa dominant, 24 to 30% THC. And I guess I should feel um, significantly different because I'm at 33.4% THC, which is a fairly significant hit. So the dominant terpenes, limonene, myrcene, and linalool, lemon, pine, salt, diesel, and cake. Mm, definitely those flavor notes coming through. Mm, and just so smooth with the Grafty Plus. Oh. That is just a wonderful way to smoke your cannabis, or shall I say, vaporize your cannabis. So you're not getting any of the smoke, any of those constituents. Mm. So Animal Face is an ultra-potent, flavorful, flavorful that packs a punch. Their version of Animal Face, selected out of 100 different phenos, not only for its high potency and terpene profile, but also because they love the unique flavors of lemon and cake. Definitely some flavors of lemon on there. Especially on the inhale. And I guess on the exhale, I'm getting a little bit of those cake notes. And the diesel is just kind of dropped on top of everything. <laughs> and those happy eyes are just kind of sitting way up here saying, yeah, I'm a pretty happy guy right now. <laughs> ah, another successful start to my day with another successful cultivar corner thanks to the great crew at carmel rare brands limited grow animal face animal face is 
literally smacked me in the face. Give me a good buzz, and I think this is going to be a really good day. And once more, I'm pleased to say that in a bit of a retrospect, after having put out the joint and finished the Crafty Plus, I guess that's not true because I'm still having a taste. <laughs> it did have a chance to roll around in my endocannabinoid system, and the effect on my CB1 receptors today, very, very pleasing. <laughs> Just smacked in the face, really an exuberant, euphoric high. Still kind of sitting up in the head. Uh, just feel really creative. Just feel like doing a whole bunch of stuff. Getting out and done. Probably put a few pieces for the next episode together today. I always like to do a follow-up when I feel the endocannabinoid system just wrap around the trichomes and the, the terpenes and the cannabinoids that I've inserted into my body today from Carmel Animal Place. <laughs> you can see my speech is becoming less than clear as well. <laughs> So you may not want to smoke a lot of this when you have a presentation to do, but if you're looking for just a fine weed to get you through a day with some energy and some excitement, this may be the one for you. Sharing stories about good weed while trying good weed. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And we are going to thecannabis.com for our next story and a topic that we've talked about ever since the beginning of time. <laughs> Indica versus Sativa, are they really that different? And this is a story written by Michael Schaefer Omerman. When you walk into a cannabis dispensary, there's a very good chance that the first question you'll be asked, after you hand over your ID, is whether you're looking for a Sativa or Indica. Your answer is supposed to determine whether you end up purchasing cannabis that is either more uplifting or sedating. Of course, choosing the right type of cannabis is vital for achieving the best treatment or experience. It's just that using indica and sativa as the framework for doing so perpetuates one of the biggest falsehoods in the cannabis industry today. Let's be clear, sativa and indica are real terms. They just happen to have very little to do with the way they're used. In their correct usage, indica and sativa do refer to different types of cannabis plants. But they actually describe the plant's morphology, how it looks and grows, and not its chemical profile or effects. There's very little evidence that these types of variations have anything to do with whether a strain or chemovar is an indica or sativa. To the credit of the cannabis industry, there is no perfect alternative to the use of these terms that captures their ease and simplicity, which is why it will be so difficult to get millions upon millions of people to change the way they understand the plant. But there is a better way. How does sativa and indica make you feel? Probably the same. Most people use indica and sativa to denote two spectrums of effects they're said to cause. Indica, think indicouch, is said to be sedating, better for sleep, calming and good for anxiety, with a body high. Sativa, on the other hand, is said to be uplifting, energizing, good for feeding creativity, more of a head high, better for treating depressive symptoms. The problem is that a plant's morphology alone can't tell you everything you need to know about its chemical composition. Furthermore, the indica and sativa classifications were created at a time when scientists didn't yet have the tools to examine plants' chemical composition, so they defined them by their appearance. Making things even more complicated, even if in the past there may have been pure indicas and sativas that did have distinct chemical properties, the way that cannabis has been bred has resulted in a situation where most cannabis plants available today are a hybrid of the two. Genetic studies have found only a moderate correlation between the ancestry of cannabis strains, as reported by breeders, and the ancestry inferred from their DNA, writes cannabis researcher Arno Hasekamp. As a result, 
the genetic identity of cannabis products could not be reliably inferred by its vernacular name or by its reported ancestry as supplied by cannabis growers. That isn't to say that there is no correlation between cannabis marketed as indica or sativa and the chemical properties that correspond with the effects attributed to them. There is some evidence that certain terpenes are more common in different types, thereby making them distinct. In Hazcamp's research, a chemical analysis of 68 sativa and 63 indica varieties sourced from the Netherlands found no difference in the average content of CBD and THC. Instead, the major difference between the two groups were explained by the higher presence of specific terpenes associated with the indica varieties. Interestingly, some of these terpenes act as hormones that regulate plant shape and size, and the researchers speculate this may explain the connection between the morphology of indica plants and their specific terpene profile. As mentioned, there are real differences in the types of cannabis you can get these days, but you can't determine those variations based on the species or subspecies. What matters and what will determine its effects has much more to do with the chemical profile of that particular product. Speaking to the Cannabis Antibiotic Podcast, Dr. Ethan Russo stated that at one time there could have been chemical differences between these different types of cannabis, i.e. indica and sativa, but they all interbred. What we should be dealing with is the chemical composition of the material, and that can only come with an analysis that can't be deciphered based on what the plant looks like, how tall it is, whether the leaflets are narrow or broad or any of those criteria, Dr. Russo continued. To know what to expect from the plant and what effect it will have, Dr. Russo added, we have to know what's in it and what are the predominant cannabinoids and terpenoids. Chemovar is a term that is growing in popularity among scientists and cannabis enthusiasts to describe a type of cannabis based on its unique chemical composition. To distinguish between different chemovars, most scientists will look at the dominant active ingredients, in the case of cannabis, cannabinoids and terpenes. The most common cannabinoids are THC and CBD, which also happen to be what consumers look at first for when choosing a cannabis product. THC, delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, is the intoxicating cannabinoid that makes users feel high, euphoric, and can produce pain, anxiety, and inflammation. However, THC is also responsible for many of the adverse effects of cannabis. CBD, cannabidiol, is non-intoxicating, but can provide anti-anxiety, antipsychotic, and antidepressant effects. CBD may also reduce inflammation and pain and can counteract some of THC's unwanted effects. People have been cultivating cannabis for millennia, but it wasn't until the Renaissance that a German botanist named Leonard Fuchs coined the term cannabis sativa, which he used to indicate domesticated hemp. Later in the 18th century, Swedish botanist Karl Liebnaz adopted the term cannabis sativa as hemp's Latin name in his book Species Plantarum. Sativa simply means cultivated in Latin, probably referring to the cultivated hemp crops in Europe and western Eurasia that were grown for its fiber and seeds. About 30 years later, Jean-Baptiste Lamarck published a description of what he considered a second species of marijuana named cannabis indica. Meaning of indica in Latin, Cannabis indica refers to the wild-growing psychoactive variety of cannabis discovered in India used to produce hashish. And so the debate continues, indica versus sativa, and as kind of was mentioned in the story, let's be honest, almost all cannabis produced today is some form of a hybrid. Leaning to a sativa, leaning to an indica, and maybe in three or four years from now we'll stop those using those terms. <laughs> 
We'll finally have figured out our terpene profile, adding to our esters profile, and and maybe we're going to talk on some flavonoids as well. All of those are going to come magically together to, to be able to choose our cannabis. I can only wait for that time to arrive. From Studio High Above the Clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And let me thank you once again for being a listener here at the Cannabis Podcast. I truly appreciate your support. If you want to support the podcast further, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash Cannabis Podcast. If you feel so inclined there, you can buy me a doobie. You can also support me like Kevin and Jordana have. Or you can also go to Patreon. You can become a Patreon of the Cannabis Podcast like Tony and Rob have done. For the links to all of that, you can go to the show page and you'll find them up at the top right hand. If you ever have a comment on anything you hear on the Cannabis Podcast, please send a note to info at CannabisPodcast.com. Thank you so much for being here. That's it for episode 122 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis-Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey friends, I'm Brandon and I'm Saba and we are your host of the Cannabis Hangout podcast, an educational platform to connect with the cannabis community and share personal stories while breaking the stigma of marijuana. Join us every Sunday at 7 p.m. to gain valuable insight with different perspectives from industry leaders, growers, and medical marijuana patients. This is a place to learn so much from different angles in the cannabis industry. So tune in while we break it all down.